This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast on the beat live. Of course, streaming on YouTube right now as I speak. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and Isaiah Lucas. Inside Carolina sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With On To Be Live, that means, again, we are live on our YouTube stream. So get in, get get in quick, get us some questions going. We've already got quite a few people in the chat. Gregory Hall monitoring that. Um, we're going to try to uh, do a few new things here. Of course, uh, we've got a fourth here. So we are, we are two bicycles instead of a tricycle tonight. Isaiah Lucas, certainly in, interning with Inside Carolina. What's going on, Isaiah? How's it going? We uh we are glad to have you. We we sometimes get rowdy in this, so be prepared for anything, um, any questions that come your way. But I'm gonna start the show with Greg Barnes and the stat of the week. Greg, we gave you the homework before the show, so I'm sure you've got something ready to roll. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Uh, I've kind of been trying to figure out what would be the the best thing to talk about because there's so many good ones, and I think there's such an emphasis right now on kind of what's going on with North Carolina's offense. Um, one thing that Mac Brown and Phil Longo both talked about lately is, is what's going on uh, to get North Carolina behind the change because they have been, I think it was 14 on 14 first, first down plays, even last week against Duke where they had some success. Uh, they gained two or fewer yards on 14 of those plays. That's not good. That's not really what you're looking for. And so the, the stat I wanted to throw out uh, is Sam Howe related. We've made a big deal about the deep passing game is not what it has been the last two years. Uh, what we know is that Sam Howe um, has been very successful throughout his career on first down. Uh, if you go back to his freshman year, 2019, uh, he completed 65% of his passes for 1,780 yards, 19 touchdowns, three interceptions. Pretty good, 183 quarterback rating. Last year, however, those numbers skyrocketed like the whole offense did. Sam completed 75% of his passes on first down for 1,926 yards, 15 touchdowns against one interception for 211 quarterback rating. Very impressive. This year, however, we're not seeing anywhere close to that level of productivity. Uh, on first downs, he's only completing 58% of his passes, 600 yards, six touchdowns against one interception, so that's good. But QB rating down to 157. So last year, it was 211. This year, it's 157 on first down. That's a problem. 
Fortunately for Phil Longo and for this offense and for North Carolina fans in general, uh, while Sam has struggled on first down and on second down for that matter, his quarterback rating is 157 on second down as well. Uh, he has elevated his play and he has made some big throws on third down. Uh, on third down this year, he's completing 71% of his passes, four touchdowns, no interceptions for a 229 QB rating. Wow. So we know what kind of talent Sam Howe is, right? And even though he's getting behind the chains and the offense is struggling, he's still doing a pretty good job uh, when put in these tough situations. I mean, if you look at – granted, this is a very small sample size, but when he's in third and long this year so – Like, is that eight yards or more? Seven yards or more. Uh, he's 11 of 16 passes uh, for about 300 yards with two touchdowns. I mean, his, his third down and seven to nine to go, QB rating is 427. <laughs> so uh, – I mean, that's good because they're in third and long a lot. That's that's the problem. And there is a, a sharp decline from what he's been able to do on first down this year compared to the previous two years. And so when we hear Mac Brown and Phil Longer really talk about the struggles this offense is having, especially in early down situations. Uh, yes, a lot of it's the run game for sure. Uh, that's on the backs. That's on the offensive line. There's also the Sam Howe component now. One thing Mac has pushed and uh, Phil Longo has talked about, how do you address that? Well, the deep passing game is not there. So you want to take some of the decision-making process out of Sam Howell's hands. That's when you start doing some of these quick hitters that Phil Longo talked about last week. We saw a little bit of it against Duke, not as much as I thought we would see. Uh, and so those are the things that they're looking at. Those are the stats and the figures they're looking at, trying to figure out, how can we get this offense going? Because what we've seen, I mean, really dating back to the later Fedora era, right, over the last decade, is that when UNC is able to get things moving and they're able to get ahead of the chains and pick up first downs, then you can utilize tempo, then you can find rhythm, then the offense really starts turning. We saw it against Virginia. We saw it against Georgia State. We saw it a little bit against Duke. Uh, but that's got to happen against even good defenses, and that's, that's one thing they're keen on. I mean, so I guess the question is a stat me, of the week, by the way, I know that was uh, Greg Barnes, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to argue anything, don't, hey, come, don't come here and argue numbers. I told him Barnes. about the G Biggie stat jingle? of the week this morning. We have yeah, I'm, working, a, uh... I'm working on it. Okay. I've got one, but it's not safe for this podcast. I'm, I'm working on sound those. effects, some graphics. We're going to get okay. it rolling. <laughs> There's going to be a designated. You hear that sound. Boom. I'm just going to start doing it randomly in the show. So every time you hear it, you're just going to have to like pull out a stat. So the question is, is why, why the struggles on first down this year, as opposed to last year and even his freshman year. So Gregory, since uh, you've got a lot of kudos for the stats, I'm going to let you start and I'm going to let Isaiah come in after you and clean up your mess on the why, why, why is the struggle? Why, why is Carolina struggling on first down so much more than they have in the past. Initially, I, th I think it's the reliance on trying to get those yards out of the gate and the anything beyond 10 yards just really hasn't been there this season. Um, it, if you get it with two Josh Downs in space, yeah, but that's not what they're doing on first down. You're not seeing the ball go to Josh Downs early on. And then when they do, 
the offensive line can't block. Someone just typed that as I said it. Um, you can't you, you can't get the there's too much pressure on Sam too often, and that's also leading to the issues on first down. And I really think it starts and stops with that. If you're trying to go deep, you need time, and the time's not there. And then his footwork's getting messed up, as we've seen Jason kind of break down on some, and then the decision making's not there as well as far as trying to get those yardage first downs that we saw last year when it was just oh first down Diami right he's got time to throw and he can find it that's just not there and the issues on first down start and stop with that what do you say Isaiah and Greg while Isaiah's talking somebody's asked what's the run pass percentage on first down if that's something you can pull up pretty quickly what do you say Isaiah I was gonna say I mean Greg summed it up pretty well I think the ability well lack of ability to kind of establish a run game is kind of hurt on first down a lot because that if you throw an incomplete pass, it's obviously you're not gaining yards. makes it harder. gives you two more plays to pick up 10 instead of, like, knocking that down to second and seven, second and six. So it, it, people talking about the play calling. Greg, I don't think the play calling is much different than it has been in the past. Um, there's something else going on. Is, is it that offensive line that – we want to talk about and everybody wants to talk about as, as the issue, because I'm not seeing any completely different sea change in the way Longo's called plays the last couple of years or last three years, to be honest with you. No, and I think you know, Jason has done a great job kind of laying out some of these issues. It'd be one thing if it was like a glaring issue, like the left guard was just horrible. And so it was up to Phil Longo uh, to scheme around that position because they had no other choice. That's not the case. They've got capable bodies everywhere. Mm-hmm. The struggle is, is uh, you know, maybe a running back is not being patient enough in the hole. and Maybe he's not cutting back when he needs to cut back. Maybe an offensive lineman is getting beat at the point of attack, or maybe he's not pulling as quickly as he needs to be. You maybe, maybe he, as he comes out, he doesn't scrape along the, the line. Uh, he kind of rounds about. And so you're talking about maybe a, a yard off the line where he needs to be. That makes a difference. Um, and so all these things kind of add up when I mean, you talk about separation with wide receivers. And so you know, when Mac talks about this is not the offense that we've had the last two years, schematically it is. Um, the difference is, is that the, the personnel is not quite the same. And I know Gregory has done some good uh, stat work on, on why that may be. Today was an interesting day of going through all of that. Yeah, and so I'll let you share some shed some light on that in a second, Gregory. Um, but I think a lot of it is you just don't have the pieces kind of meshing quite yet. Um, I, you know, people have brought it up on the boards. Um, the fact that Carolina had to go to Virginia Tech opening night. Uh, that that's that's critical to how everything has worked, right? Because you get smacked in the face on opening night when you had all this hype and things don't operate the way you think they should, that kind of knocks you back a little bit. And that hurts. And sometimes it takes a while to kind of come back from that. And that delays your uh, maturation and your progress. Um, Is that an excuse? Maybe. Probably so. But you asked about kind of the the run-pass splits. Um, I mean, they've relied on the the run a lot on first down. Uh, 91 rushing plays on first down compared to 69 passes, second down 64 uh, running plays to 53 passes. Uh, I think really what's 
what's interesting is that they've they've run the ball 31 times on third down, uh, and they've only averaged 1.97 yards per carry. Uh, so that's that's a struggle right there. Um, but they've done pretty good work running the ball on first and second down. There's just a lot of passes that are not not operating. And just looking at the numbers from the other night um, against Duke, as good as as good as they were. Um, uh, where is it? I had it here and I, I lost it. But I think about about half of the plays on on first down were uh, close to half the plays on first down were incomplete passes. So what do you do from that? You know, how, how do you change things up? And that's what Phil Longo is trying to figure out. Um, yes, they have taken a few shots on, on first down down the field, but I think it's really just trying to establish a rhythm because once you get behind the chains, it makes it very difficult. And uh, you know, North Carolina against Duke, their average third down distance to go was 6.3 yards. So not quite third and long, uh, but getting pretty close. You do that against good football teams and you're going to lose. Yep. And yeah. that's what they I did in Blacksburg and against uh, Georgia Tech. We can debate whether those are good football teams, but, yeah, you can't do it against normal football teams. Go ahead, Gregory. I was just going to say, no matter how good your third down conversion is, which North Carolina is, is it's decent. I mean, they're just under 50% right now, fourth in the ACC. And that's with having third – I don't know what their average is on the season, but if they're third and sixth against Duke, it can't be much better than that for the entire season. Um, so, and I mean – they haven't played elite defenses, um, but Virginia Tech shut them down and just, yeah, so that's all I was going to say as far as third down and t- to go. So so let me follow up on Mark Williams. Um, he's asking the questions before I can get the answers, um, but this is relevant. Let's all talk about it. I'll start with you, Isaiah. Longo called plays um, two years ago. They worked a fair amount. Last year, they worked nearly all the time. This year, they're not working as much. We just talked about how they're very similar play calling. Should it be switched up given the different personnel? Now, there's no Diami Brown. There's no Javante and Michael Carter. I'm tired of talking about those guys. I mean, we have worn them out on this podcast <laughs> probably more than we did last year talking about them. Um, so is it up to Longo? to do something different or is it up to the players to execute what they're supposed to execute, especially when you've got an offensive line that's been there for a long time? I think it's more so on the players, honestly, because I mean, you go and you know what you have to do, you know what the game plan is and there's not too much that a team can do when you go and you prep all week. If it comes to game day, you're just not ready to compete because a lot of it has been them being outmanned or out simply just like outworked physically it's not been schematic issues most of the time so if you get to game day you're not really there you're just getting outworked there's not much you can do as a coordinator to change anything up how much of the offensive line issues are because the center issues Gregory I know that that's a question we discussed a little bit off air I'll let you get your thoughts in and I'll go to Greg on it a lot um, especially when you're playing three different centers in one game, like UNC did against Duke. Um, and I mean, yeah, when Kieran Johnson came in and Kane Baker, they played very, they played well. But when you have your starting center and Brian Anderson, who is supposed to kind of be like when we talk about having a veteran offensive line back, you could have 
four seniors at left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle, but then have a rookie center and the communication is still not going to be as good as having a veteran center. So Brian Anderson was supposed to kind of be the gel for that. And so if he's out hurt, that's hard. And then Kieran Johnson, if he's limited, then he's kind of focusing on himself rather than being at full strength and being able to fully communicate. So the communication is not going to be there when you're constantly rotating in centers. So I think with the issues of that, when Phil Longo talks about communication issues, it starts and stops with the center. And then there's still the technique issues that are kind of second and third consistency and things like that. Phil Longo talks about issues at the offensive line, fundamentals, things like that, footwork. Yes, those are issues, um, but those can be ironed out more so than just having consistency at center as far as fixing the offensive line issues. Greg, that's one thing that's been surprising to me is, yeah, the center issue. I mean, when you're having open tryouts on your team what, four weeks into the season, you know there are issues there. But I was really expecting this unit, as much as we've heard of cross-training and all the different stuff and the continuity that they've had playing together, I was expecting more from them even when dealing with those issues, even though I will fully admit that center is the most important position there for the continuity and the communication. Yeah, and even in the preseason, I mean, the guys, when we asked them about you know, Sam Howell being sacked 70 times the last two years, uh, I mean, they clearly had a chip on their shoulder about it, and they wanted to make it, make it known that they were not going to allow that to happen this year and that they were going to keep Sam upright. Um, and then talking with some of the, the linemen recently, I mean, we talked to Kieran Johnson uh, on Tuesday night, and this really doesn't seem to have any answers for what's kind of going on, even though, uh, you know, the guys have been together for three years. And I, I think that's problematic. But if you look at the, the pro football focus stats, we know Brian Anderson's been playing hurt. He didn't, he didn't practice much in, in preseason camp, had that boot on his foot for uh, – you know, a good portion of the off season, or at least in the summertime playing, playing hurt. I mean, there's no question about it. Right. But if you look at his pro football focus grades on the season, his overall grade is a 33.1. Um, is 50 average like 65, 60 is like above 60 is kind of what they say. It should be like a backup. When you get below 60, it's pretty bad. So Eugene Asante is in the 40s, which is why Cedric Gray is part of the reason why he's taken over, just to give you like an example of production and things like that. Right. All right go, um, go ahead, Greg. But a 33.1 overall for Brian Anderson. Um, so he's playing hurt. They need him out there for communication purposes. But pro football focus only grades production and how those guys are doing. Um, and he's just really struggled. So credit to him for playing through pain. Um, but then you look at, I mean, Kieran Johnson's also been banged up. His grades is 63.5, uh, but his pass block grades at 39.7. So your two starting centers both have below 40 pass block grades. That's a problem. Um, and it really doesn't matter how, how good your guys on the edges are. You have teams know they can exploit the middle of the line. That's going to be problematic. Um, the same goes, you know, in the run game. And I mean, that it starts and stops right there. Uh, but then you get into the communication issues. You get into some of the other things where other guys have been banged up. I mean, Joshua Zuda's battled a lot of injuries over his career. Um, and so, yeah, 
you would assume, Tommy, I mean, I, I'm just like you, the guys have been together for so long. It should almost be plug and play at this point in time, right? It clearly is not. And so it's probably going to be until those guys get completely healthy. You know, when you're talking about guys that are you know, 6'2", 320 pounds, getting hit time and time again, I mean, the only way those guys most likely get healthy is to stop playing for a while. And I just yes. don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah, you don't – linemen don't get healthy during the season, not no. lower body injuries. They um, not, not linemen who play. Yeah, it, it's awfully tough. Um, and, and I was taking notes right there, um, working on some game plan podcast questions because we've talked about the scheme. We mentioned it earlier here. Should Longo do some things differently? Um, if the center of your line is getting whipped in pass pro uh, – Maybe roll the pocket a little bit. Maybe we'll discuss that tomorrow, Greg, when we record the game plan podcast. Let me come back to Gregory and Isaiah with a couple points that I wanted to make here. I was looking at our plan for this podcast, um, but I'm not I'm not following it, Gregory, and I apologize. You worked a lot. We'll get it all there, in. There are, there are bolded <laughs> what I mean, do you mean i just don't follow rules man obviously that's you have got to learn that from me we will get to them it just might be a moment oh i thought that's, you were saying you didn't understand the flow that i was put out there. no i totally understand the oh, flow, but oh, i'm gonna oh, go oh. with the flow oh yeah do whatever a, you do whatever you want yeah, i don't care yeah so so let me ask this i'll ask isaiah first two stats that surprised me when i'm looking at season stats so far uh, five games in Tell me what you think about these. One, Choffrey Brown. How many catches does he have, group? He's got, assuming the stats are correct, he has one catch. One, yeah, right. It was that. For 75 yards. Yeah, it was that 75-yard touchdown. And Josh Downs. How many rushes does he have on the season? None. That right there, or those are two numbers that I expected to be significantly different. One, because I thought Brown would be the guy, and I said he'd be the breakout player against Duke. Yeah, I guess I jinxed him. And then I figured they'd find a way to get Josh Downs the ball in the running game. Isaiah, do they even need to worry about that, given the production he's had in the passing game? I mean, what's the point of trying to run him if all you got to do is pitch it out to him and let him go? I mean, I think running – including him in the running game could just help with giving different looks out, very giving a different variation for plays. But I mean, as you said, you don't really need to necessarily run them. If you can give it to him on a screen or on a short pass and he can take it from a four yard completion to a 25 plus. Yeah. And then yeah. Gregory Choffrey Brown. What, where, how? Yeah. I think some of that stems from, well, I, I guess that kind of counters what I was going to say, because we're going to say maybe that stems from them trying to get the ball to Emory Simmons and Antoine Green more to build confidence, but that's not working either. So if that's not working, then Choffrey Brown would be your next would be your next guy. Um, I'm trying to look here quickly how many targets he has on the season Four. It, OK, so then that that is more telling than the one catch. I think they're not even trying to get him the ball. I mean, I know Antoine Green and Emory Simmons have, I think, eight targets apiece. Um, I mean, Josh Downs has a crazy number of targets, and rightfully so. He's got, like, what, like 40-something percent of the receiving yards right now. And part of that, 
someone asked in the chat about tight end usage. They've already surpassed the total number of catches that the tight ends had last year. The total tight ends had 24 catch or like 22, 24 catches last year. And Garrett Walston and Kamar Morales have combined for 24 already. So I think part of that has to do with if you're going to give the ball to Josh down so much and you're going to increase usage of the tight ends, then that's where other guys' numbers are going to come down. So I think that's kind of why you're only seeing four targets to Chaffee Brown. Um, maybe the confidence isn't at the level that we thought it was. I think whether it was last year or two years ago with Antoine Green, like, man, we thought we were going to be seeing that guy out there more often, but we weren't. And it was kind of confidence issues on the sideline and what they were seeing in practice and things like that. So it might be a similar situation for Chaffrey than Antoine Green. And then, like I said, with if you're going to get the ball to Kamara Morales and Garrett Walston more and you're going to give the ball to one of the best receivers in the country, someone's not going to get the ball. And I think we're seeing that with Chaffrey Brown right now. So here's the thing. Um, if tight ends are getting the ball more, if Josh Downs is getting the ball more in the slot, is that the route you go? And, and of course, the counter to that is Phil Longo runs a air raid offense that is built upon the vertical passing game. And that's, that's kind of the fuel, right? That's the igniter switch, uh, ignition switch, I guess is, is probably the better way to say that. Um, so you need the deep passing game, but if it's not working because you don't have guys able to get open or catch the ball, uh, at what point do you dial it back? And I think that's the challenge. Is Phil Long is like, well, I know what works in my system because I've run it for so long. Um, but if you don't have that available, how long do you keep trying to work on it? Uh, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I found this well, interesting, though, and this is, a, this is a Josh Downs aspect. People may not believe this, Last season, North Carolina played 12 games. They had 28 passing plays of 30 yards or more. They have 16 already through five games this year. They are ahead of schedule and ahead of last year on passing plays of 30 yards or more. I'd love so, to see the breakdown. I know. You're still getting explosive plays, but it just seems like, and it feels like, and I think this is accurate, a number of those have been short passes like Ty Chandler on Saturday, like Josh Downs on Saturday, where those guys take the Larry Fedora approach of taking short passes and, and making long gains out of them instead of it being deep shots where Sam's throwing a ball 60 yards in the air and Diami is going and getting it. Um, so it's a little bit of a change in how, how it's working, but it, I think it just kind of speaks to the issues that, that Phil Longo is trying to work through. So part of the personnel scheming stuff that um, we were talking about and the stats that I dug up, the percentage of pass attempts for 20 plus yards, 10 to 19 yards, zero to nine yards, and then like behind the scrimmage, bubble screen, um, swing routes, things, swings to the running backs, things like that. I looked into the percentage of all of that this season from last season. 20 plus yard attempts, the percentage has increased despite the lack of effectiveness in the middle of the field, 10 to 19 and zero to nine has decreased. And then the behind the line of scrimmage percentage wise has increased. Now, Josh Downs is on pace for a similar trajectory of usage that Daz Newsom was 
as far as 20, like 25% of his stuff is 10 to 19 yards down the field. 38% of his targets are zero to nine yards. Daz was 20% and 37%. Now for the behind the line of scrimmage, Downs is very less than Newsom. But what I'm looking at, we know how good Daz was in space. We know how good Josh Downs is in space. Josh Downs is light years better after the catch than Daz Newsom was. On those zero to nine yard passes that he gets the ball super quick, whether it's an in slant um, or things like that, he's averaging nearly 13 yards after the catch per catch. Daz Newsom, three. 10 more yards after the catch per catch than Daz Newsom was getting last year between zero yards and nine yards beyond the line of scrimmage. When I was looking at that, I, we knew Josh was good getting the ball after the, like getting extra yardage, but that's crazy. Um, and then the other thing that stood out is how like Emory Simmons. Now it's only, they only have eight targets apiece as far as Emory and Antoine, but looking at this, um, well, they have a little bit more than that, but still not very much. Emory Simmons is getting the ball 36% of the time on his targets, 20 plus yards down the field. That's more than Deami Brown. Um, Deami Brown was getting it 33% of the time. Antoine Green, 50% of his targets, eight of his 16 targets are 20 plus yards down the field. Both of them yards per catch is less than Deami Brown. So it's just like they're throwing the ball down the field more. They're utilizing Josh Downs more effectively than they were even using Daz Newsome, but then they're still throwing the ball down the field. And I think that's where we're getting. And when I was talking to Longo, we were talking to Longo and Matt Brown talking about last year's offense and they're still doing the same things. They're really trying to get that deep passing game going and it's just not happening. So Greg, when you mentioned dial it back, what would that, what would that look like? And let me ask a question before you get into that, Greg, I don't, how many screen passes have they thrown this year? I don't remember um, hardly I have, any. I have that number. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I've been wanting to ask that because I can't remember a swing pass or screen That's, pass or a bubble uh, screen. Seven, 17, 17 screens. They're 16 for 17 on screens for 139 yards and one touchdown this season. And see, you know, Larry Fedora used the screen game as an extension of the run game. Uh, and, and Phil Longo will do the same, but he hasn't had to. You know, if you're if you've got again, Tommy, not to bring up the guys again, if you got Carter and Javante back there, you don't need to manufacture extra running success, right? I mean, you, you've got those two guys, so you don't have to worry about the screen game. Um, and so, yes, the the swing passes work. I mean, the play that Phil dialed up for for Ty Chandler last week, where he got up Chandler uh, being defended by a linebacker. Good luck. And it was a perfectly thrown pass and it was a 75 yard touchdown. Uh, so yeah, some more of that stuff uh, maybe would, would help offset some of the pressure that Sam's feeling. But as, as Jason broke down, I guess it was Monday. I mean, they try to screen on, on third down and it's kind of an obvious down for a screen, right? When you're third and long Duke knew it was coming. Duke knew they could get to the quarterback in time where he couldn't really throw the ball down the field. And so they just bottled up the screen. Um, so maybe, maybe on earlier down situations, you can utilize more of the, the screen game, even though that's really not what Phil wants to do. Um, but asking Phil Longo to dial it back on the vertical throws when that's against every essence of his being is going to be tough. 
And I have to imagine some of that's what Max hinting at when he says, change up your scheme. Uh, but you know, it's, it's like, like Larry Fedora, um, not throwing all those little quick digs and outs in the slants and the screening passes. That's just what his offense is. Uh, and so it's, it's trying, it is, it is a matter of trying to fit pieces to the scheme instead of fitting the scheme to the pieces. Uh, and it's, it's a system. It, it works when you've got the right pieces uh, and it's still working now. It's just not working at the level that we've seen, especially last year. And that's, that's the challenge is, is how, how far are you willing to go with these struggles before you just make significant changes? Um, and that's, that's something Phil has to figure out unless Mac <laughs> makes that decision for him. So how much, as I asked you this, how much are the tight ends benefiting from, like Gregory said, all this chaos on the outside, not named downs? But also, and this is something else, and Greg and Gregory, you can chime in as well. Aren't the tight ends usually a check down anyway? How many times in Phil Longo's offense is the tight end the guy? Is the tight end the read? I'd wager not much. Anyway, Isaiah, Kamari Morales, Garrett Walston, man, those two guys that if it were last year, we'd probably called their name like three times by now this year. Now it's, you know, there's, they're setting tight end records for Phil Longo's Carolina offense. I feel that like the tight ends, they, they're able to get in spaces to where if they're matched up on linebackers, they're running like an underneath route or corner or just something short where they can catch it. Morales specifically, if he can catch it in space, he's athletic enough where he can get a ball. You can make a guy miss, pick up a couple yards. If, if the receivers can't do it on the outside, he's more of a favorable matchup against a linebacker who could be slower. And then Walston, same thing, just moving his body, play action, just getting him across field. I think the linebacker matchup or something that the offense would have to try to attack more. Now, yeah. something that I was thinking about with the tight ends, if the offensive line is struggling with protecting Sam, when do you – keep the tight end on the line rather than having them check and then go for an extra man. Is that something that we're seeing often or not really? It totally depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, if you're trying to throw the ball down the field where you need to give Sam some more time, then you're going to need to keep the tight end uh, attached and and let him block and utilize the running back. I mean, I I think we've seen enough out of the offensive line right now that that's a, a guarantee. If you're trying to hit a big play down the field, you're going to have to give Sam time to step into it. If you're running these three-step drops or any of the RPOs, I mean, those are quick passes. You, you know, RPO, you've got to get rid of it quick or else you're going to get an ineligible you know, lineman down downfield. Um, and, and in those situations, you don't need the tight end to stay and, and help. And so it's, it's really determining, okay, how much time can we buy the offensive line and then, you know, if the defense decides to blitz, uh, you know, is the running back good enough as a blocker to offset some of those, you know, some of that extra pressure so that the tight end can still get up the field and, and find a spot to sit down. But yeah, we talked about it as a, as a positive for Sam Howe, and it is when he first arrived of this is a gunslinger. Does he want to make the check down to Garrett Walston for five yards or does he want to hit the home run ball? He will sit down and run ball. And he's really good at it. 
Uh, and so if you're trying to neuter him in his third year, again, that's going to be something that he's had so much success not doing that. Uh, it's going to feel like regression. And uh, yes, just a, it's just really a mess right now, trying to figure out how much to dial it back and how much to push full steam ahead. Yeah. You know, I've watched a fair amount of pro football and you better be able to hit the check downs and you better be able to hit the tight ends. And yep. that's why guys like Kelsey and Kittle and all make, make a lot of money and, and put up huge numbers because they know uh, that their quarterbacks can do that. Let me take a second to talk about Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Great sponsors of the podcast and the friends of Inside Carolina. They certainly look after us. And they will look after you as well if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. You get 10% off your order. Even if you're not a subscriber, you can certainly still go to Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. And they give the great customer service, both in-store and online. Take care of them. They take care of us. Get your gear there. They need your help. Visit them on Franklin Street on game days or any other time you're in Chapel Hill or just check in online. Quick and easy. Also, rate us, review us, subscribe this YouTube channel. If you subscribe here or follow or whatever the button says, it'll kick you a notice when we're going live. We might do more of these shows live than on the beat sometimes. You never know. We might surprise you with some live content. And, of course, you can get all of Inside Carolina's great video content as well on the YouTube channel and the podcast app. Get you all your audio. National guys will pay the bills on the Audio version will be right back on the beat live inside carolina.com. All right, boys, we're back. It's on the beat live. It is Tuesday night, about 942. Boston's beating the New York Yankees, three to nothing in the top of the fifth. Greg Barnes, Isaiah Lucas, Gregory Hall here. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. Of course, I'm going to start with Greg again. It just made too much sense to get Conley closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, but yet it took a month for it to happen. Uh, good move, bad move for Jay Bateman in the defense. Well, clearly a good move against what Duke wanted to do. I mean, let, let's be honest. I think anybody watching that game realized that they, they've got a really good running back. Uh, Mateo Durant's a solid, solid back. He'd be starting for North Carolina right now. Uh, but not much else. You know, Gunnar Holmberg has ability with his legs. They don't have much of a passing game. And so coming in, I think it was pretty clear, Jay Bateman was saying, we're going to take away the run to the best of our ability and make Duke beat us through the air. And they were not able to do it. So when you, when you think about that scheme, uh, you have to have a, a solid presence come up. I don't know if people really appreciate Jacurious uh, Conley's size. I mean, the kid looks like a linebacker. And just seeing him pregame beside the other defensive backs, you're like, he's, he may be in the wrong position, right? Especially Trey Morrison. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, he's, he's just a, a big kid to have the speed and athleticism that he does. Um, so, yeah, clearly against Duke, that's what you wanted. But I do think it's interesting. Two things had to happen uh, for Conley to be able to, to slide up. One is that Cam Kelly played really well at Georgia Tech, and apparently he's been solid in practice because um, he had some really good grades in Atlanta, even though that was clearly a loss. And that gave Jay Bateman the confidence to be able to say, okay, you know what? He's been backing up Conley at strong safety. We're going we're gonna to let him take the reins there. But then Don Chapman, who is like Trey Morrison, has done a little bit of everything for the secondary. 
they were able to use him both at safety and as the third option at cornerback with Storm Duck and uh, Dady Hollins both being out. And so when you can move pieces around like that without there being glaring lapses, you can really use a guy like Conley in different roles, maybe even week to week. And it's great to have a piece like that that you can utilize, but it's also great to have guys around him, maybe secondary role guys, who can be effective in helping him out, helping him allow uh, allow Jay to, to move Conley up. So I thought that was a, a very, a very um, solid approach to how they did things. And the fact that he was able to really move those pieces around the way that he did we talked a lot in the spring about versatility. We talk about it a ton on the offensive line, but Jay's really done that with the defensive secondary and it paid off on Saturday. Isaiah is Conley the most important piece of that defense for Jay Bateman, in your opinion? I would say so just because of his versatility, it'll allow just for more things to be done, whether it's a front of the pass rush or just trying to disguise things with the coverage, maybe just sending it. You can put him in the box where he can come down, stop the run, or he's athletic enough. We saw when he got that interception where he can just fall back. If he baits a quarterback, he can snag a pick. So I triggered somebody and said Gimmel's the most important guy on the defense. And Gregory, I believe that. Um, I believe the middle linebacker usually is, but I'm not so sure Conley is not the most important piece on this defense, given what we what Greg and Isaiah have already talked about, the versatility. Yeah, when bringing up most important, it's hard not to say Gimmel, just because if you, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? If you take him off the field, I mean, getting set up and communication is just out the window. Um and I think you saw that with him even going the extra mile to get the front seven in the same room all at once together, rather than half and half balancing class schedules and things like that. Right. And the difference that that made with getting to the quarterback. Um, I really like what Conley brings. I mean, I think that's obvious what he's capable of besides factor, his speed. Um, he's cleaned up the tackling issues a little bit and that's been good to see. Um, I, that's, that's a tough one. I, I think it's still Gimmel, but Conley's got to be, like Isaiah said, the versatility is just such a huge factor, especially in the college football offenses nowadays. Because um, you, if you can put him at nickel and stop the run for one game, and then you need him in coverage to help out against an uh, offense that can burn you through the air, and then you're keeping offensive guessing, offenses guessing as far as like where's zero, then that he's a problem. Um, so I think it's tough because I don't, I don't necessarily think often they, they know where Gimmel's going to be. Right. Um, but they're not going to try to avoid a middle linebacker. I mean, you can throw it outside and things like that, but Gimmel's going to make his plays and get his stops. But Conley, if you don't know where he's going to be, then that's a, that's an issue for offenses. Yeah. And look, the, the best player on this defense, I don't think there's any questions. Conley. Right. That's different right. than most important though. Exactly. And that, that's, I think that's that's the point here is look at what Eugene Asante has done this year. He struggled. That doesn't mean he's not any good. That means he's started what? I mean, he's played in what, six games now, like significant snaps? Yeah. Even though he hadn't really played, he didn't play much at Georgia Tech. He's still a young kid. And Cedric Gray is playing better than him. But even Cedric hasn't played very much. 
the middle inside linebacker position is where all the calls come from. That person is responsible for relaying information to the defensive line, to the outside linebackers, and to the secondary. You've got Eugene Asante, who's inexperienced. Cedric Gray is even more inexperienced. And then you got two other kids inside linebacker who are very talented in Power Eccles and Ra Ra Dilworth, incredibly inexperienced. So what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to take Gimmel off the field just because he's not like an elite talent? Um, like I get the I get the frustration sometimes because you see Ra Ra and you see Power splash. Those kids have a long way to go. Um, and so you've got to have a guy like Gimmel out there pretty much every single play to keep things in order. That doesn't mean he has to be the best player on the field, but it's like Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson, it was key for North Carolina. And we saw how key he was when he didn't play against Virginia Tech. Um, you know, the offensive line really struggled in that game, communication-wise. So even with him playing hurt, in the next two games, North Carolina really, really looked better offensively and they had less communication breakdowns, all those kind of things. Is he the best player on the offensive line? No. He's probably number five in terms of like pro potential. But he's the he's the vocal leader there and he's the guy that makes the calls and you need him out there. It's the same with Gimmel. I think fans kind of kind of miss that element of it is there's a difference between importance and talent level, um, and Gimbel's talented. I'm not saying he's not, but but there's a difference between what he brings to the, the field and then what some of the other guys at that same position do. Yeah, like Mike and EJ said on the VIP podcast, if you think it's a struggle without uh, right. uh, now, imagine it without Gimbel. And that goes to the question that so many people keep asking is why aren't rah-rah and Power Echo's getting more time, that's it. That's why, because Gimmel's the guy. And uh, Cedric Gray has played himself into playing time. And also, they're young. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. And it goes for Keyshawn Silver and all them. Let me ask you a question, Greg. Is there any other place for Jay Bateman to get a guy like Rara on the field um, except those linebacker positions simply because – uh, we talked last week about getting the best 11 on the field. That's what uh, Matt Campbell likes to do at Iowa State. Play them wherever they can go, get the best 11. Is that a possible thing here um, with this defense, the way, with what Bateman likes to do? You know, I think, I think there's going to be more opportunity for that next year just because of what you just said, Tommy. Like, Rara, if you could play him at, like, a nickel position. I mean, just think about if you put a, you put a dime package out there and your nickel was Conley and your dime was Rara, and just kind of a, a modified version of that. That'd be pretty interesting. Problem is, Rara is trying desperately to learn how to play inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. And so to say, okay, we're going to put you at a uh, defensive back position, even though it's a hybrid. I mean, you're talking about his inexperience level uh, is you've doubled just because it's a position he's never played before. I mean, Jonathan Adorno is a great example, right? They really liked what he can do at at guard when he came in last year because of some of the situations injury-wise, Ty Murray getting hurt. Uh, They had to let him play at center too. 
And so because he was splitting time at center and guard as a true freshman, it really hurt him development-wise. And so this offseason, they said, you know what? We think you're a guard. Even though we could use you at center, we're going to stick you at guard primarily with the hope that he can catch up developmentally. Same goes with, with some of these guys on defense that have so much talent that you would like to use them in unique ways. They've got to learn what they're supposed to do first. Learn what you've got to do, then learn what your teammates have to do. And once you do those two things, then you can get creative and you can maybe slide around and do different things. But if you, you don't have those two boxes checked, forget it. And I think that's kind of where they are right now. It's very tempting based on the skill set level. I, I just think they're at least a year away before that kind of thing happens. Yeah, you can play C-ball, hit ball until the ball's not where you thought it was going to be. Right. And the guy's running free in the secondary. Yeah, then it's C-ball, face mask, chase, and dirt. Chase ball. <laughs> you know, running after him like DK Wave, Metcalf. right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tyree Kill with the peace sign. And so that would be interesting. Somebody mentioned, and Greg, you mentioned the dime package. Let me come to Isaiah and then Gregory, you can follow. People won't, well, not people. Bateman talked about playing more three down linemen uh, this year than they have in the past. We heard all off season about how they had, what, eight to 10 guys that weighed 290 or more. Um, and, And Greg, I know you probably have the stats, but I haven't seen three down linemen too terribly much this year for North Carolina. Um, Isaiah, is that something that maybe would help this defense with run with run support, or do you think Bateman's just going to keep doing what Bateman does? Um, they definitely can't play a dime with three down linemen. I don't think there's any way they would do that. So, rah-rah wouldn't be on the field for that. But anyway, three down linemen for Bateman's defense, does that help, or, and do you see it happening? All right. Honestly, I don't know. I feel like he could continue to run the three-down lineman. I think the thing would be if you do, just making sure that you can contain quarterbacks when they run. I think that's the biggest aspect of whatever you throw out there with guys on the line. You got to have – if you throw three-down linemen with two – you have two, three guys behind them that are able to not only, like, fly, come in and try and get sacks, but also fast enough, quick enough to contain quarterbacks because – the big thing that has happened is quarterbacks have just been able to get loose. You have your guys out in coverage, but then the quarterbacks, they sit back there. If they see a hole, they have no problem. There's no like, element of fear. They just take off without thinking twice. The, time, the times that we've seen three down linemen are third and short when it's a run package by the opponent. Um, against Duke, uh, there was third and short, and – there was well was supposed to be um, I think it was supposed to be Murphy, but then the ref pulled him aside and he had something wrong with his helmet. So then Ritzy had to be on the field. But you had Tamari Fox, um, Javari Ritzy, and I believe it was Hester. Greg, if I'm do you remember the play that I'm talking about at all? Probably not. My brain is all over the place. But it was a third and short, and there were three down linemen, and they got the stop. Um, and that's kind of where I've seen three guys on the defensive line, um, just because you know that they're going to try to just get that, get those two yards, run the ball up the middle, and you want those guys in. And that's where Bateman's, and he's talked about it before, as far as having certain linemen for certain specific plays in certain specific instances during the game. So I think that's really all you're going to see the three down linemen as far as that. 
especially when you're still, when you're trying to get a consistent pass rush, you want the best pass rushers in Cayman Rucker, who's I guess can be considered a down lineman. He lines up on the line more than like a Des Evans does. Des Evans is usually just standing up. Cayman Rucker likes to put his uh, hand on the, on the ground. Um, so yeah, I don't really think you're going to see more three down linemen. If you want your best pass rushers into Mon Fox, Des Evans, Chris Collins and Cayman Rucker. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the key there because in theory, if you're using three down linemen, you're able to generate a, a pass rush a little bit with those guys, especially at the end positions. Um, and Raymond Vahasek is really the only lineman that's had any, any success whatsoever with pass rush. Uh, as, as Gregory said, it's Tamon Fox and, and Cayman Rucker. And Rucker cool. is doing kind of a hybrid. Miles Murphy. Yeah, I mean, Miles has done okay with pass rush. I mean, he, he's, he's had some splash plays. He hasn't been a consistent. True. Um, as consistent as some of the other guys have been. But yeah, Miles has done a pretty good job. But that's those are two of the primary linemen they have out there, Miles and Fahasic. Uh but what's happened is is because you're not getting the push up front, they've really put an emphasis on using their outside linebackers to generate pass rush on the edge. Um, and so if you put three down linemen on the field and you've got your two outside linebackers, because those are the guys you're relying on to create pressure. Well, that's five guys. You know Jeremiah Gimble is going to be out there, so that's six. So if you need an extra linebacker, a Cedric Gray or Eugene Asante, well, that means you're down to four defensive backs. And one of the ideas with moving Conley to safety was, number one, that's the position he's probably going to thrive at in the NFL. But two, if you don't utilize nickel because you're going to do more three-down linemen stuff, you'll have him on the field anyway because he's a safety. But if you need him at nickel – closer to the line of scrimmage to help with the run well now you've got an extra guy there that you have to account for and so i think that's that's probably a lot of it is that you're trying to say okay we, we have to have conley on the field now against duke we need him at the line of scrimmage as a nickel uh so you've only got so many people you can put out up front and i really think as the young guys mature and get better it may not be this year it may just be next year um, you'll start to see more success with that defensive front when you're using three guys and you don't have to rely just on the outside linebackers to get pressure. Greg, just a, a straight aside on that, talking about the defensive linemen, who are the guys that are three down linemen? Not three down linemen, but three first, second, third down linemen on this team. Because one thing that's maddening to watch um, is – the substitutions after some play, like was it? I think it was Georgia Tech had the big run down to the one yard line. Bateman's scrambling to try to get a substitute the line in and out, and nobody's ready. I mean, who do they? Who can they rely on that's out there that could play every down if they needed to, so they're not in the mad dash fire drill to sub out if the situation changes. Well, you're you as we we talked about your two key guys on the defensive line. Two guys are always out there. It's going to be Miles Murphy and Raymond Vahasek. Vahasek, of course, is, is the nose tackle. Uh, Kevin Hester is backing him up at nose tackle. But when you go strictly three down linemen, um, and you're not including Kamon Rucker as a hybrid there, it's Tamari Fox is the other guy. Um, and so when we've seen kind of the, the ones out there, it's, it's Tamari, uh, it's Ray, and it's Miles Murphy. And the, the few times that we've seen the, the standard, you know, three, four look with a, a nose over to the, the center and the two, four eyes, 
those are the guys out there. Uh, Hester has the backup at nose. And then that's where you get Ritzy coming in, playing some for, for Fox. And then Rucker, of course, they're using him in, in different positions. Uh, and so that's, that's really what you're looking at. And, um, you know, Tamari Fox is solid for sure. But when you start talking about some of the other talented guys they have, you know, Varner, uh, Ritzy, uh, Keyshawn Silver, some of these guys, it just kind of speaks to the development those guys have to go through to be able to, to break through and allow their, their talent to match their physique and their development and experience and all those kind of things. And it's just a process. And I think that's one of the key reasons you're not seeing, um, you know, a huge, huge chunk of plays where it's those strict three down linemen because they need to get pass rush. And some of those other big guys are just not ready yet. So Gregory, I'm coming back to your outline right here finally you will be happy to know i'm gonna start with isaiah and i'm gonna go to you on your outline we're gonna start having the on the beat power rankings yeah this is the one i wanted to do you wanted to do this all right isaiah give me your top three position groups on this team right now Now put you on the no no never no you can sit and think about it Gregory you go first since well, it's your idea I already prepared for this so um, because <laughs> you said I tell you was like which ones do you want to do and you were like all of them and I was like all right I'll start prepping um, <laughs> so top three position units right now power ratings right not overall talent not production AP, yeah it's just who's do who performed well currently. And who's kind of at the top right now? So there's number three. I've got the secondary. Coming off of the Trey Morrison scoop and score. Yes, that was caused by the defensive line. But Trey Morrison was in a position to score it. Got four interceptions out of five games. Um, Just been solid. Back-to-back games where you're holding opponents under eight yards per attempt. Both against Virginia Tech and Virginia were over nine. So improvement there. Number two, tight end groups speak for themselves. They're already at as many catches as last year. Kamari Morales, three touchdowns in three games in a row. And then number one, the defensive line, fourth time since Mac's been back, they had five sacks in a game. Three of those four times were against Duke, which I think is pretty funny. Um, the scoop and score by Hester, and then 3.3 yards per carry, holding Mateo Durant to lowest season. Um, defensive line is my best position group as it stands. Defensive line, best position group on the team at the moment per Gregory Hall. Isaiah, well, what's that? Because Josh oh, Downs already, is only one already, person. No, you've already explained it. You're, 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 you're over. Mute, mute yourself. What do you say, Isaiah? <laughs> um, I'd, ha- I'd have to agree with secondary, secondary three. I think the way they've been playing. Uh, I'd put them at three. I'd say – Tight ends at two, and then yeah, D line at one. I think he, I think he hit it on the head, honestly. Oh my god, you don't have to follow Gregory <laughs> everywhere. I'm he'll start, telling. he'll start disagreeing with me eventually. Yeah, once you once you get your legs under you here, then you can start just blowing him out of the water. Greg, speak some truth here. So, well, how specific are we trying to be here? Because secondary encompasses a lot of positions, right? Secondary yeah. is safety. All right, all right. Since, all right. It's I'll go with I'll go I'll go with like a safety slash nickel as one position group because Conley plays both. So that was my point. Conley and Morrison's play. Okay. Is that better? Does that make you happy? That that is better. Because I wasn't necessarily thinking Tony Grimes and Kyler McMichael because they've been good. They haven't been great. 
So can I go? That's the thing. Can we go even further? Can I say slot receiver? <laughs> you can do whatever. Well, well, that's uh, what I was thinking. I was like, because receivers haven't been, but Josh Downs has. So, I mean, I guess do whatever right. you want. It's new, new segment, new segment. I'll let you go, Greg. Best player on the team. Best player on the team. However you want to justify it. Uh, this After season right now, Josh Downs. Best player on the defense. Uh, Tamon Fox. Ooh. Currently as it stands? Wow. Right now, yeah. That I, I, I got to look at the – hold on. Let me check the chat. That's going to create some things there. Oh, okay. Give it, give it to me, chat. What do y'all think of Greg, Greg, Greg Barnes' uh, Tamon Fox, best player on the defense? By the way, Gregory, I haven't forgot. You owe me. It's not over yet. A lot. It's not. He's only down. To, he's only Des Evans zero. Tamon Fox two sacks. It's a lot of a lot of football left to be played. Greg, would you put the defensive line as high as they did thus far this season? Power ratings currently. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, that's the thing. Like power ratings for this week. I I, I get it. Um, Thank you. The defensive line did what they needed to do against Duke. Uh, they rose to the occasion, so they get credit for that for the season. No. no. Well, then give us your three groups. For the season? Power ratings. I don't know. As it stands. Well, power ratings, are we doing it by week? After we're, week five. Yeah. After week five. Okay. So, for the season, after week five. Um, I agree that tight ends are up there. Uh, they're top three. So, I'll, I'll, I'll go tight ends at, at number three. Um. Quarterback, uh, number two, just because even though Sam Howe is having a down year compared to his standards, right? Uh, his numbers are still ridiculous. Still on track to be the, the best quarterback that has ever played in Chapel Hill. I think he's already there. Uh, and then uh, secondary, right? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Um, I think the cornerbacks have been have been really good. Uh, I know they had a, a, some struggles against Virginia. I think that's kind of the, the key component for this defense is when Tamon Fox is active and the cornerbacks are able to shut people down, the defense is at best. And um, so even though the safeties were the, the best players on Saturday, I think I'll have to go with the cornerbacks being the kind of the best position on, on the defensive side and the and the highest power ranking of the team thus far. Nice. Gregory Hall, did I cover your segment? I do like the segment. We need to do it every week. Yeah, we'll do it every week. Keep track of how people are performing. I know. We need to graft so we can have the up and down and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've covered a lot in an hour. Gregory, what would you like to do next, or would you like to get out of here? And for the folks listening, I've been taking notes the entire show that Jason Staples will get some of your questions as well. So tune in to the game plan podcast. Um, and if you have recruiting questions that goes to ask Don Callahan at scoop podcast on inside Carolina, not this one. Cause I could not tell you about it. I could have told you, I could tell you about some people I've seen in person that are local. Um, but I'll keep that for the special premium. Gregory, what are we doing now, my man? Do we want to transition to Florida State a little bit? I've got a Sam Howell clip and a Ray Vahasek clip about Florida Let's State. All right. Let's cool. get it. Um, While you're pulling those up and getting it ready to go, Greg, what do you think of the Bobby thing on Kenan Stadium wall? 
And could you imagine if that was a Coach K thing in basketball arena? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. <laughs> I think I think Max ties. I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, he's got the, the ties from uh, from his youth, of course. Um, he's got he's got the struggles with when he was at UNC the first time, and Florida State was without question the best program in the country. Um, so I think it's interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think there's many people you could do that with and, and not receive some, uh, some flack, but I think Bobby Bowden is, is one of those few you could do it. And so I, I think it's a neat thing. I think it says a lot about Mac. I agree. I agree. It is pretty classy, but I did. I, I must admit I chuckled when I saw it, but yeah, Bobby Bowden was St. Bobby. So we'll let it stand. Go ahead, Gregory. All right, uh, this is Ray Vahasic talking about uh, just stopping Florida State's offense. Very mobile quarterback. I think both their running backs are some of the best we'll see this year. Um, veteran offensive line. So I think, I think you know, you can say what you want about their record, but they're a super talented team, and some things could have went a different way, and their record could look a lot different. So I think what stood out about that was him bringing up the record. And Mac kind of mentioned it earlier because they're one and four, I believe. They just got their first win, but they lead the ACC in rushing and they're like near last in passing. And what does UNC have issues with? Running quarterbacks, especially Jordan Travis last year. And he's looked just as good, if not better, this year. And that's the first thing that Ray mentioned. Um, so they know what they're facing this weekend, which I mean, they should, but it's obvious that that's going to be the main things that they're going to try to need to try to stop. Um, and yeah, just because Florida State's one and four doesn't mean that they don't, it's not a matchup issue for this Carolina defense. I thought that's what stood out to me about that clip. Isaiah, your take on it. I, I mean, Florida State's pretty much the way they were last year, and they roughhoused Carolina early, especially. Um, I don't see it really happening in Keenan Stadium on Saturday, but what's your takeaway from this game and where Carolina's mindset is maybe going into this matchup? this year versus where it was going into it last year? I mean, I think he said like, all the right things. Like, what's you're supposed to say when you're playing a team that maybe has a chance to beat you, but their record doesn't really, like, show that. Um, I think mentality-wise, I think they're just in a spot to where they know they can't think that they're going to steamroll them because they probably thought that last year. And, I mean, games like this, even though it's not the same stipulations, it's a trap game, really. Greg, I still can't understand how Florida State's one and four. I know we talk to Staples a lot, and he can explain exactly why they're one and four. Um, but this team is talented, and they show that in flashes. Do you think Mike Brown, A, will have any problem getting his team ready to play for this one? And then, B, yet Mike himself has never – beating Florida State. I mean, just this one of those weird games here. Talented team that's not good. Also a team that Max never beaten. A confluence of events coming to Keenan Stadium on Saturday. I've been I've been waiting for this game uh since last year because I think this game more than a lot of the games that North Carolina's gonna have played this year will tell us what this team's character is. Because they were embarrassed in Tallahassee last year. They were a top five team. They went down there. People had some question marks about them. 
and Florida State embarrassed them on national TV. And Mac has brought it up a number of times this offseason. I mean, a number of times. We've heard about the Florida State game. I don't know how many times. It eats at them. Yeah, for sure. It eats at the players. Uh, and at some point, pride has to take over. And we can talk about the numbers. We can talk about whether or not Florida State's one and four, how they've gotten better, all those things. But you have to want it more than your opponent in these types of games. And I, I don't know that we've seen that a whole lot out of North Carolina. I certainly haven't seen it every week. Um, and so if North Carolina doesn't come out and, and show that they want it more than Florida State, uh, then I think there's going to be legitimate questions to be asked. Uh, I, I imagine that the team will come out and do just that, but uh, they've been inconsistent. And so and, until we actually see it, uh, you know, it's kind of a wait and see kind of thing. But but I think this game tells us so much about who this team actually is beyond what the stats say. I agree with that 100%. I, I mean, I was looking at the schedule um, and looking at this team could be six and six. If they lose this game, they could be six and six. And if that happens, uh, you're going to have to get old, the old Matt Brown that can sell – well, they say ice to an igloo, ice yeah. to an Eskimo, or yeah. whatever you want to say, uh, because you can't sell six and six. And this team can be there if they don't get this one on Saturday. Cue up the next one, Gregory. Sam, on what basically everything Greg just talked about. I think 100%. Uh, you know, we, we know what it was. We know what it was like last year when we went down there. Um, you know, we kind of had everything we wanted in front of us, and, you know, we kind of lost it all right there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a big game for us. You know, it's one we definitely want to get our revenge back from last year. Um, you know, they, they played a great game against us. You know, they were more ready to play than we were last year. Um, so, no, we definitely we definitely want this one bad. Greg, I'll get you first on it, and then we can run through everybody. I hear what he's saying, but I also saw Virginia Tech, and I also saw Georgia Tech. And this is in Kenan Stadium, so it's a little bit different, but – is it different? Is this, like you said, going to show some character in this one? Or will that character come when Carolina goes to Notre Dame or, or plays at NC State? I mean, where are we right now based on what Sam said about last year and they've still had the same issues? Well, we've talked about it as a cultural issue for North Carolina for years, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know that I've been more flummoxed uh, after a game than after the East Carolina game, oh, 18. That was my first ever road game covering for. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, some of the guys are like, yeah, we just didn't really take them seriously. And you're kind of like, well, they just beat the hell out of you. <laughs> and you, you won three games last year. Um, but Mac has talked about, I mean, what did Mac say Monday? He said, well, the defense, they played a good game. Now, is that going to get to their head? Like you, the offenses, Good games against uh, Georgia State and Virginia did going down to Georgia Tech. And the fact that that's an issue is a problem. Like, you shouldn't be playing up and down to your, your opponent. Uh, but North Carolina has done that, and that's part of the learning curve. That's part of trying to become a legitimate program, right, is trying to figure out that it does not matter who you're playing. Your goal is to play at as high of a level as possible every single time you take the field. Uh, and unfortunately, college coaches make a lot of money because they have to coach their players 
to do that. It's easier said than done. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if, if the motivation of being embarrassed last year is not enough to get both sides to play as hard and as passionate as they possibly can, then, then maybe we do need to wait another year before we start talking about this team, you know, playing for the ACC title. Cause that's not going to be enough. And um, let me just say this real quick. Florida state has played a more difficult schedule than North Carolina to date. Uh, and just looking at Sagarin, their strength of schedule is 39. Carolina's is 53. They had a chance to beat Notre Dame in overtime. Yeah. They, I mean, they lost on the flukiest of plays against Jacksonville state. The game should have never been that close anyway. That was fun. Lost at a lost at Wake Forest, which right now best is the, the best ACC. team in the ACC. And Dave they lost Clark, him, maybe, but lost a competitive game against Louisville, which is you know, Satterfield's got them playing better this year. And then they and Syracuse is playing better this year. And Florida State won that game on Saturday. So uh, I agree with the Hasek that Florida State, while they look like a dumpster fire, uh, they're playing better than their record. And North Carolina is three and two, by the way. So it's not like Carolina's. Uh, a top 25 team right now. And you mentioned defense and getting embarrassed. And yes, there's last game. Um, but you also have to look at the most recent time the defense got embarrassed. And that was when Jeff Sims ran all over him. That's what Jordan Travis is going to try to do. So as far as up and down with the defense, if you have a down this week coming off of um, what Max said was one of the best performances by the defense since he's been here, then Jordan Travis is going to have a field day and it's going to look like Bryce Perkins when Virginia came to town. Uh, what was it last year or two years ago? Um, years so, ago. yeah. So just talking about defensive up and downs, they can't, if they have one, it's just Jordan Travis is going to have, it's just going to look like Vince Young 2.0, just like Jeff Sims did according to Mac. Um, so, and Cam Kelly talked about defense is getting on a roll and he was like, yeah, like we feel good about how we performed, but we can't just, be complacent and not keep working because we know who's coming to town with Florida state and Miami. And we have to keep moving forward. Um, so hopefully the mentality is there and that regression and going back to what happened against Georgia tech doesn't happen. And I think it helps that this game's in Keenan. Um, I mean, home versus road, as everyone knows, is just very different. Um, so yeah, as far as defensive up and downs, it's just, they can't afford to have another Georgia Tech, but at the same time, it's possible Jordan Travis is very talented. Isaiah, I'll let you pretty much close the show and on that subject, and also give us a prediction. We're going to put you on the hot seat because we have sucked at predicting <laughs> games thus far. So I'm gonna, Games, I'm stats, you. players, it's just I can't do anything this year. I still own the Josh Downs prediction. And I will carry that one to my grave. As it's not like one of you the were the only one who thought that. Man, I was the only one that had the numbers off the charts. Isaiah, speak so we can mute Gregory. I think, well, just like coming into the game itself, like they can talk about wanting to play better, be consistent, pride, and everything like that. But it's going to ultimately come down if they can stop a running quarterback. That's been the biggest issue that defense has had since um since Mac has come back. It's just because even you look at the Georgia Tech game, like things were fine until they put a running quarterback in and there was seemingly no answer for it. So I think if they can want to as much as they they can have all the want to talk about this being a revenge game all they want, but it ultimately comes down to can you stop a running quarterback when you need to? And I think prediction wise, I think Sam's gonna ultimately need another one of those three hundred yard passing, one hundred yard rushing games for them to pull this one off. 
No, that, I like that because it's hard to predict that Sam's going to rush for 100 yards. But if the defensive line is going to get back there, um, then he might be taken off. So that's not totally out of the realm of possibility here. We shall watch. We're going to wrap this one. It's about 1021 Eastern time. Appreciate everybody that's been checking us out on the YouTube channel. Um, we've got our faithful crowd that watches us. I appreciate y'all joining in Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Isaiah Lucas. I'm Tommy Ashley, Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com. We'll be on the game plan tomorrow night to be released on Thursday. We've got a special show being released on Friday as well. And also coast to coast comes your way tomorrow with Joey Powell, Sean Moran, and Sherelle McMillan. Boys, it's been fun. I'll see hopefully all of y'all in the bowls lot on Saturday. If not, Greg, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And Gregory, I'll see you whenever we see each other. Thanks, boys. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average of 29 and 11. God, what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.